0: Every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey. Gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur
1: and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd, he's also the co-founder of Rivers Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing
0: in working with business owners it's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. My guest today is Dr. Mark Costas. Most people don't consider dentists to be entrepreneurial, but Dr. Costas is flying in the face of that theory. During his career, he started and acquired over a dozen successful dental practices during some of the profession's most challenging times. Not only is he an international keynote speaker, a number one Amazon bestselling author, a podcast host with listeners in over 150 countries, but he's also the founder and CEO of the Dental Success Institute. For our conversation today, I'll be drinking a beer leftover from Christmas, Iron Hills Reindeer's Revenge, which is a fairly strong American triple. Iron Hill is a Delaware-based brewery, which prior to 2020, sold their beers exclusively in one of their 20 restaurants. Mark really enjoys red wine, and he'll be drinking a 2017 Bouchaine Estate Pinot Noir from Napa Valley.
1: And with that, welcome, Mark. Cheers. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great format. I will do this as often as you'd like me to. <laughs> I'm sure the, I'm sure the listeners and the, and the viewers will get sick and tired of me, but I, I, I love working and drinking red wine at the same time. Well, we would welcome that. That'd be great. So let's start off. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about your business and your background. Sure, sure. So uh, dentistry was never on my radar. Um, I was an entrepreneur at heart. Okay. Um, it runs deep in my family. I, I, I am told the stories of my grandmother who, who was a loan shark, and my mom would go collecting, uh, collecting payments around <laughs> the, the village in the Philippines. So some of my mom's earliest memories, as early as five years old, that she would go collect monthly um, interest payments from the the residents surrounding my grandma's compound. Wow. Wow. That's of, amazing. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> entrepreneurship goes deep in my family. When I was 16 years old, I ran into a fence. Um, my le- uh, the left field fence. I misjudged a fly ball and uh, knocked out all four of my front teeth, broke my jaw end up uh, ended up in the, the emergency room, woke up and I had uh, my, my jaw wired shut and um, all of my teeth were loose or missing. Wow. And 16 months following that collision, Um, I recognized that I had a deep respect for the people that put my face back together. And it was dentists, um, uh, oral surgeons, plastic surgeons. um, And so I decided that dentistry might be a good way to go. And upon a little bit of research, I recognized that dentistry was a lot more of an entrepreneurial pursuit than my initial um, interest, which was medicine. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. So I decided to switch gears and I took all the same classes that I would have if I was going to go to medical school, Uh, went to dental school and uh, uh, became a serial entrepreneur inside of this profession.
0: Wow. And, you know, I've talked to guests in the past, one one of our our common friends, Dr. Paul Goodman from Dental Nachos, and and we talked about how dental school doesn't really teach you how to own a practice or be a business
1: owner. So um, it was that your experience as well. Absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm blessed to have been asked to speak at lots of different types of conferences, not just dental. I've spoken to lawyers, I've spoken to accountants, personal trainers, physicians, um, and a common theme with many professions, especially the professions that where, where uh, you're looking at three to five to, to 10 years of postgraduate work. Um, mostly there's barely enough time to learn the skill. Yeah. There's barely enough time to learn um, what it takes to be not dangerous, right? <laughs> right yeah, <laughs> you know, for for law, for accountancy, for 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 any type of profession. Sure. Uh, even restaurant owners or anything, we 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 are good service providers, and that's what we're comfortable doing. Um, but there's no time to learn the business side of things. And you know, Michael Gerber talks a lot about you know, the entrepreneurial myth, the fact that if you are good at being a service provider, then people will flock to you and the business will, will figure itself out. It'll take care of itself because you'll be so inundated with business that, that you can make lots of mistakes and and the business will still survive and do fine. Right. That's that's not necessarily true. In fact, in most cases, it's not true. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of
0: sense. And well, it seems like you, the, the companies that you've started were birthed from your original prof- your original profession. So how did that come to be?
1: Yeah, well, my first actually, uh, part of my background is that, you know, I have, I've always had a learning disability and unfortunately my three sons have the same affliction where we don't read the written word well. It's not officially dyslexia, but there's something happening when we read the written word. It takes us longer to read things and comprehension isn't as good as it could be. Oh, wow. I do much better auditorially. Okay. Uh, one of my sons is really good visually. Um, but we all kind of had this affliction where we're a little bit slow when it comes to comprehension of the written word. So I always struggled in school. Um, and for me, it was, it was, it was very difficult. So it took me, uh, after I decided that I wanted to go into medicine, I had to figure out a way to get my GPA up and to have a decent enough application to get into dental school. Sure. So I applied for, um, for dental school over a three year period of time. I had, I applied 21 times, wow. 20 rejections and i got accepted to one school but in the meantime i i opened my own business or i purchased a franchise in a catering truck business so wow. i drove i drove what i called a roach coach around and sure i drive i drive from construction site to construction site i'd honk the horn i had a cook in the back we'd make burritos and french fries and move on to the next and so that while i was getting my masters in business i was getting an mba at the time i never finished because i got into dental school right before I finished my MBA, I also owned this catering truck. And uh, that was my first business ever. And that taught me a lot about entrepreneurship. You know, yeah. the, the owner of the business gets paid last, you yep. have to take care of your vendors, you actually have to, to, to know how to, you know, train your employees or else they'll steal from you. Yep. Lots of great lessons in driving a roach coach because business is business is business. Um, but again, entrepreneur at heart, I just found a home inside dentistry. And I found lots of different opportunities once I was already inside dentistry to flex that entrepreneurial muscle. That's amazing. You, you know, usually you don't see it happen that way where
0: you, you're you an entrepreneur at heart and go to uh, and, and start a company, you know, in, in your special specialized field. Usually you go work somewhere and you go, hey, it's sort of like Michael Gerber says, I can do this better than than uh, the people that are doing it. And I break out on your own. You're yeah. so an entrepreneur by accident. So that, that's fascinating that you were an entrepreneur at heart. I guess when you grow up with a loan sharking mom, that's going to help, right?
1: Lone sharking grandma. grandma yeah. Sorry. yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, you mentioned a lot that part of your success as a business owner is fueled by mistakes that you've made. So talk about a little bit about some of the biggest mistakes you've made that have taught you the best lessons.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a tough and great question at the same time. Um, I think that you know, if you have grit and you have tenacity and, and you have this ability to overcome these obstacles and setbacks and, and, uh, and really, really take your lumps, that makes you a much better entrepreneur. But I've had a lot. I've made just about every mistake you could possibly make. Um, some of the big ones were not being a good leader, not knowing how to develop, meant that, to, to develop that leadership skill, mm-hmm. and that to be a strong leader without being a micromanager, without being a boss hole. Yeah. uh, (laughs) That's a great phrase. I, I was, you know, and I didn't, I didn't recognize that I was not a strong leader and that, that I was, um, that I was leading by, um, negative reinforcement most of my career up to maybe six or seven years into my career. You know, I had, I had six dental practices. Um, I was working 80 plus hours a week. I had, you know, 50 plus employees and I wasn't treating them well. Um, I was unhealthy myself because I wasn't getting great sleep. My personal relationships were were suffering because I was under such a great amount of stress. And uh, at that point, I, got, I reached a point where there was, it literally was a breaking point and I had to make a hard decision. So I sold four of my six practices at the time. Wow. And, uh, and just tried to figure out how I could not be the bottleneck in the business, how I could work on my personal relationships and still have a successful business. Because at the time it felt to me like, okay, I I reached this financial uh, benchmark that I had set when I was very early in my career. And I finally surpassed it, but I, but I I took a step back and said, I've never been more unhealthy and in my life. I've never been more miserable in my life. So I were, I went, Back to the drawing board, I figured out how to systemize a practice correctly, Learned how to delegate correctly. I learned how to be a better leader. I learned how to be a better father and a better spouse. Um, There's a lot that happened at that uh, point in my career. And that was definitely one of those trajectory moments in, in my career. And. Um, I haven't looked back since and, and we've grown exponentially since. And what's interesting is if you learn how to set up your business the right way, you can have it all. You don't have to choose whether or not you're a, a good family person and a good person to your, to your employees or be wealthy. You can right. be wealthy if you take care of all the other stuff first.
0: Yeah. You know, you bring up a a great point and I find it fascinating that a lot of times you deal with people that own companies, they have this arbitrary financial number in their head. And it's usually comes out of absolutely nowhere. It's just 200,000, 300,000, 800, whatever the number is. And they say, once I hit this number, I'm going to be, that's going to be it for me. And then they get there and they go, okay, now what, now what do I do? And they look around and it seems like you've had that, that's your experience
1: it's exactly my experience. My arbitrary number that I set when I was 15 years old, I ran into an old copy of Think and Grow Rich in my dad's study. And they, they said, you know, it introduced a bunch of different things. It introduced kind of a, a mindset of entrepreneurship and, and not needing to have a boss. Yeah, it, it taught taught a little bit about a short-term, long-term goals, it ta- taught about the this mastermind principle. So, you know, I set this long-term goal of, um, before I was 35 years old, I was gonna have a million dollars in the bank and a million dollars net income at the end of every year. This is a 15 year old. up these ridiculous, arbitrary. Goals. <laughs> it, it sounded good at the time. I mean, how could I ever spend more than a million dollars and not be happy if you had a million dollars in the bank, right? <laughs> From a 15 year old's perspective, that sounds brilliant. But I held on to that ridiculously arbitrary goal until I was 38. I hit that when I was 38. And that's when the breakdown happened. And I realized that, you know, I was, I was really charging towards this this goal that really didn't mean much to me other than the fact that I'm type A and I wanted to to crush this goal. Yeah. Crush the goal, but almost
0: crushed everything else in my life at the same time. Right. And it's definitely not worth the trade-off most of the time. So 100%. talk about, you know, even setting up this podcast, you've, uh, you you have I've noticed you've really done a great job with delegation. So it seems to me you've really focused on your unique ability and really spending the time Doing exclusively what what you do. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you've been able to, you know, go from a micromanaging terrible boss to letting go and just trusting your people to do things for you?
1: Yeah, it, it all happened kind of all at once. You know, I knew for a long period of time that there are certain things I was not good at. You know, I'm a quick, quick start, I'm a visionary, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not an integrator. You know, I'm the type of person that comes up with, you know, 10 ideas a day. Yep. And 10 of them are bad most days. And then (laughs) at the end of, you know, a year's period of time, you know, those, uh, 36,000 ideas, um, uh, plant a seed, uh, you know, I I plant a seed of one of them that works and and it's a wild success, but I I have to have a team that could help me execute and integrate on some of those ideas. And when, you know, I I knew for a long period of time that I needed to have a personal assistant Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm not an organized person at heart. I'm not super technologically savvy. Like, like um, I have probably bleh, 85% of the 100 employees that I have are are millennials that are extremely tech savvy that could right. do stuff like this that would take me long periods of time. Okay. Uh, So I recognized what my weaknesses were and I hired for those weaknesses. And then it allowed, it freed me, just like you alluded to earlier, it freed me to focus on what I was good at. And that was coming up with ideas, finding deals, you know, finding two or three dental practices that, that maybe were, um, that, that didn't look good to a lot of people, but I could go in there and try to figure out how to make them successful. You know, it allowed me to, to create a consulting company and a, And a a membership community. So those, those are the things that I'm good at, not the day-to-day integration and even management. I'm not a great manager, but it allowed me the space to um, find good managers and put them in the right seat so that I didn't have to do the stuff that I wasn't good at. Yeah. uh, If you ever have the freedom and you're, you're, um, As an entrepreneur, if you ever scale up to the point where you can afford an executive team, you can afford a personal board of directors, that's when things just really open up for you. All you have to do is get to the point where you can actually afford that. And and that's when a true entrepreneur really blossoms. Absolutely.
0: Well, so are these some of the things that you teach other dentists how to do as part of a part of your core business?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, our core business is about um, helping dentists or business owners become more streamlined, efficient, systemized, and more—much more aware of how to trace a dollar through the, the inside of the business, right? Yeah. Uh, understanding uh, a and understanding the difference between a balance sheet and you know a cash flow statement, understanding where uh, you know where their marketing dollars are going and if they're allocated correctly. Um, and then we move on to leadership and then we move on to, you know, potentially scaling that business uh, mm-hmm. without falling into the same traps that I did. We have we have this framework called the four futures and this the four futures I developed with one of our coaches, Alistair McDonald. And that was just because I didn't want to train a bunch of people to fall into the same trap that I did six mm-hmm. years into my career. Right. I didn't want a bunch of people saying, Mark, teach me how to run this business so I can be a millionaire. And I know that once I hit this this benchmark of of financial security, I'm going to be happy. Right. Because I knew that the same thing was going to happen to them. That happened to me if they followed my my path. Yep, We created this framework called the four futures. It's mind, meaning, muscle and money. And mindfulness is your ability to handle stress. It's your ability to take in new information. It's your ability to handle pressures gracefully with, um, uh, with poise. That's the mind quadrant. We train people how to do that. The meaning quadrant is making sure that you cultivate those relationships in your life that, that I almost imploded because of my you know blind ambition. Right. Make sure that you have a greater purpose. You know the reason that you're here on this earth. You um, have an idea of how you're going to leave this earth a little bit better place after you're gone. Muscle is making sure that you're putting the right fuel into your body, you're getting the right amount of sleep, you're getting the right uh, amount of exercise, so that you're vibrant and energetic enough to to be a successful entrepreneur, but also you're around long enough to enjoy it. Sure, yeah. And so once we really focus on those three futures, then we can talk about, all right, let's focus like a laser on this financial, this money quadrant, personal finance, and how to become wealthy in your business. And if you take care of all the other three quadrants, you don't have to feel guilty about being a wealthy entrepreneur because you know that you're spending sufficient amount of time on yourself, on your mindfulness, on your relationships and your meaning. You're not killing yourself with, with, um, you know, all nighters and caffeine and recreational drugs. And shitty food. And, and, you know, then you can get to the money quadrant and you can say, this is all taken care of. The important stuff is taken care of. Let's go be rich.
0: Yeah. You can do that without feeling guilty. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's, it it really is that nice balance of time, freedom, fulfillment of a a higher purpose, as well as money, freedom, all kind of wrapped up into one. For sure. So uh, you mentioned food. And I noticed on your Instagram page that you, uh, you, you spent a year, uh, a little bit over a year ago, you, you, you turned, you went vegan. Yeah. Are you still vegan? And how's that process been? And what did you learn by going vegan?
1: Yeah, I'm still a vegan. Um, 1991, I'm aging myself, man. 1991, <laughs> um, I was, you know, I, I got to college and I decided to go vegetarian and I uh, went vegetarian for two years. Um, but that meant that, you know, cheese enchiladas and cheese pizzas and nachos and French fries were all vegetarian. So I actually was less healthy than I was before cutting out the meat. Exactly uh, what I would do. I hear yeah. you. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I would do. Junk food vegetarian, junk yeah. <laughs> food vegan. I'm very aware of, of, of how you can fall into that trap. But but yeah, that, way back then I cut out beef and pork. Way back then, um, about ten years after that, I cut out chicken. Um, and then 10 years after that, I cut out dairy. So for the longest time I was a pescatarian, which mm-hmm. is just seafood and eggs. About a year ago, September 17th, um, I decided that I would, I would like to try veganism. Um, and there's a few things that kind of went into it. I, I'm, I'm kind of a bleeding heart kind of guy. I love animals. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a person that thinks that even domesticated animals have, have a personality and they feel pain. Sure. They, they um, have anxiety when they're separated from their offspring. And to me, it's just heartbreaking. Like the, the mass production of, of livestock to me is, is one of the saddest things that we've done as a human species, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, I have no problem with my friends that go out and, and hunt for wild game and eat organic food like that and eat eggs, you know, free range chicken. And I, I have no problem with any of it. It was just for me personally, I, it, it didn't fit my ideals. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's, this, you could go back and forth. It's, it's a very political issue too. I mean, you go on,
0: everything you, is you,
1: now, <laughs> Oh, you type in veganism and people will, they, they will, they'll call you an idiot and they'll call you, an idiot. No, no. <laughs> but, um, but you know, there, there are some, some serious uh, environmental consequences to the mass production of protein as well. Mm-hmm. So, You know, I decided to go vegan um, a year, a year, just over a year ago. Still vegan, still happy with it. Um, I do find I I lift weights every day. Um, I do find it's difficult to build uh, lean muscle Mm. um, unless you supplement. I do find as though it's difficult for me to maintain my weight. Yeah. Um, But I've never felt better, more clear. Uh, There's certain things that you have to supplement like vitamin B, vitamin D, um, certain micronutrients that you have to supplement. But I, I feel amazing. I, I don't see myself going back to fish anytime soon. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, because I still cook it for my whole family. Yeah, I was know? just going
0: to ask you about, the, about your family.
1: Yeah, nobody else. Did. I mean, my wife is still pescatarian. Uh, but but uh, for me, it's the right choice for a lot yeah. of different reasons. Yeah, uh, so it, you know,
0: talking to other vegans, they they do talk about the mental clarity that you get once you once you sw- turn that switch. It takes a little while to, to to sort for your body to kick in, uh, but they do. Mo- most of them talk about how beneficial it is from a mental standpoint.
1: It is. It's. I think so. I think so. And it does take a lot more preparation than my previous life because you can go to any restaurant and get fish. True. Like you know, um, or you can go to any restaurant and get an omelet, something you know, or something that has cheese in it. Yeah. Uh, but, but now you have to be a little bit more strict and a little bit more prepared when you yeah. go on road trips, et cetera. But you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I was very much into intermittent fasting, the sixteen sixteen eight intermittent fast. Sure. Um, I have a very difficult time doing both Yeah, um, because the weight just comes off too fast. But I will tell you that my, my, um, experience with intermittent fasting has allowed me to go long periods of time without feeling stressed without food right yeah. i can easily knock out a 24 or 30 hour fast interesting right? so that means so that means if i get on an airplane and they you know, i'm in first class or they throw peanuts at me and coach i know that i don't have to eat that shit in order to get to my destination sorry right i don't i, I don't have to eat crap yeah just in order to to, to feel like my blood sugar is going to plummet because my body is trained to go for long periods of time without having to eat food. All I need is some good bottled water and, and maybe, uh, maybe just a little, Something yeah. after 24 hours just to keep going. And I don't get distressed. Hangry. You don't get hangry, as they I don't say. I get hangry. No, yeah. Not like a lot of people. So,
0: you know, most entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs who really, you know, are dedicated to, to doing something like veganism have a pretty strict routine to keep their body healthy. Yes. Talk a little bit about your routine and what you do, you know, more for, you know, sleep and working out and that sort of thing.
1: Okay. So, sleep is the one thing that I haven't wrapped my head around. Um, I've been a short sleeper my whole life. I yeah. could get by very, very well on five hours. Um, I don't know why, and I, I, I don't know if I'm going to pay some gigantic consequence at the end of my life. <laughs> say, okay, there's 58, unplugged because of all the hours that you didn't sleep. You know, I don't know if it's lowering my lifespan, but sleep is one of those things. I have an aura ring and a whoop, and it's constantly, both of those sleep trackers are constantly yelling at me yeah. uh, for not getting enough sleep. And uh, But sleep is the one thing, that is not so tight on my regiment. I do. I'm, an, I'm a short sleeper, so I'm up at quarter to five, five o'clock every morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very big on journaling. We have a Four Futures journal that we give out to all of our members. Um, that that helps you track, you know, mind, meaning, muscle, money. Gives you a space to just do some free form uh, morning pages and journaling. Uh, there's a gratitude section on there. Your daily priorities are on there. So I start every every morning at about quarter to five by journaling. Then I do a, a quick 10 minute guided meditation with the Calm app. Mm. Then I go into my home gym and I, I lift weights first, usually no longer than 20, 25 minutes. Then I hit the Peloton or jump rope or run for yeah. uh, at least 25, 30 minutes. And then I go into my sauna and then I take a cold shower and then I'm off by seven o'clock.
0: That's great. The, yeah. the, the cold shower is uh, really gaining popularity. How long have you been doing that?
1: Uh, it's probably, I probably haven't taken, um, I probably taken a cold shower every day for almost two years. Wow.
0: That's no joke. It's, I I have a whoop also just, you know, not to get too far sidetracked, but what are your thoughts about wearing a whoop every day?
1: The only thing I don't like about it is, uh, it's same thing with the aura ring. Um, I, I feel pressure when it's, it's sleep time stuff that makes me feel the pressure. It's like, okay, (laughs) I need eight hours. I, I'm an overachiever. I'm going to sleep really hard. Go. Yeah. You know, It's like you can't sleep is one of those things that you can't over analyze because then you'll get inside your own head and it'll actually have a detrimental effect. So the trackers, sometimes I love them for fitness yeah but I, a lot of times for the sleep aspect of it it makes my sleep worse yep for sure i I agree with you on that um
0: so you talk about uh black belt habits you teach black belt habits T- talk a little bit about what what are those are those some of the things that you that you teach your your uh th- the people that that work with you
1: yeah it, it's funny that how the black belt whole thing came about in in our in our community. So we had, uh, you know, I started this thing 2012, our consulting company, and we started as a mastermind group. And what we would do is we would set these benchmarks for people. We would say, let's get your production and your collections to this, this, this level, basically your revenue to this level and your overhead to this level. And once we get that, then you're in good shape. Congratulations. And as, as uh, the years went on, our members got more and more sophisticated. And then we also started uh, attracting more sophisticated types of people to our group, right? They weren't just novices right out of school or they weren't just, you know, mid-career dentists that were struggling and their overheads were way out, out of whack. We started attracting people that were already pretty sophisticated and just wanted to get to the next level. Sure. So we started having to categorize people like, okay, you're a white belt, your overhead's about 68% and your is at this. And your, your systemization score is at this. And your leadership score is at this, and your cultural assessment score is at this. We have a, a, a bunch of different benchmarks and percentages uh, based on our self-assessments that we do on our, on, our, uh, on our clients to make sure that they fall into certain categories. And it's aspirational, right? If you come in at a no-belt level because your overhead is way out of whack, um, you, you're not systemized at all, you're a terrible leader according to our assessments, right. you come in at no-belt. You can go all the way from white to blue to brown to black belt if you really, really focus. And there's certain benchmarks that you hit at each level, right? So it's, it's pretty awesome because it's aspirational. It's not like I just want to do better right that doesn't doesn't help anybody (laughs) at all but if you say i'm a no belt right now and in 12 months i got to get to blue belt and here's exactly why i want to get there Mm -hmm. and here's exactly how i'm going to do it and this group is going to hold me accountable and i'm going to hold myself accountable and i'm going to get there right so black belt just means that you are extremely sophisticated you have an overhead of for for dentistry an overhead is less of less than 50 percent means that the you're getting paid 30% for the production of the practice, which is dental services produced. And then you have uh, 50% that's going to the fixed and variable expenses. Sure. So that doctor is going to have 20% profit. Okay. So That's a 20% EBITDA. That's what we would call a black belt level practice. And we found the more black belts graduate to black belts, we're having to create another phase, which is phase four. And now we have like first degree black belts and second and third degree black belts, because people are just getting better and better at and more efficient, more efficient, more profitable, more wealthier, you know, Yeah. um, and still watching their four futures scores at the same time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how it evolved. Yeah, you're really changing
0: the imp- you're really changing the trajectory of someone's life on multi- multiple levels, which is, you know, pretty amazing.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And when yeah. you make a big deal about it, when they when they get a new belt, we give them a belt. Sure. When they get their black belt. They come up on stage at our larger events, you know, eight, nine hundred people. And we give them the belt. Yeah. And we have a ceremony where they just like they would in martial arts, they get a belt, you know, it's their it, their their name is embroidered on there. And uh, we we tell a little bit about them. So it's 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 it really is a rite of passage. It's something that nobody That's else. Awesome. Yeah, I love it.
0: That's awesome. Well, uh, talk about, you know, we talked a little bit about in your intro about how you have a, a podcast and you have listeners in over 150 countries and your podcast has. Almost eleven hundred episodes. So, two questions. Tell them a little bit about the podcast, and then you have interviewed some really cool people. So, who's your favorite interview? That uh, for your favorite person that you've got to interview.
1: Oh, that's a great one. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, we we got the most downloads ever in October. Four hundred thirty thousand downloads in one month. Wow. Um, we're we're well over almost five million downloads now. Total um, eleven hundred, almost eleven hundred episodes. We're all over. We're all over the world, 150 countries, uh, and you know, there's there's some there's some really cool podcast apps that that quite easily track all that stuff. So there's yeah. heat apps, and you can see that people are listening in Antigua and Poland, and it's the weirdest thing ever. Really like, cool though. It's very very cool. Yeah. Too. Like <laughs> when you open up your app and you're like, seven thousand individual people listen to me today. That's yeah. great. right? Um, but some of my favorite guests of all time, uh, aren't necessarily, I have my favorite dentist guests and I have my favorite, you know, non-dentist guests. We've been really, really fortunate with some of the people that we've had on the show. Um, we've had Rob O'Neill, who's the gentleman, uh, the, uh, uh seal team six, um, guy that shot Osama bin Laden, um, seal team six has been featured in like, you know, Captain Phillips, uh, zero dark 30, um, uh, lone Survivor. Yeah. That's all SEAL Team 6. That's he's a all. fascinating guy. Oh, he's just the coolest dude too. Yeah. The yeah. coolest guy. I can't even imagine like being that humble, having, right. knowing what he's gone through. And Marcus Luttrell, all those guys are just crazy, crazy dudes. Uh, also, David Goggins, another really famous Navy SEAL has been on. Yeah, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, who's the number one business author of all time, 41 million books sold. He's been on. Um, let's see. We have, um, oh, Clayton Anderson, who's um, set some records for, uh, he's an astronaut that's uh, set some records for the amount of time that he's spent up at the International Space Station. Amazing. Those are all guys. We've had some really great women on as well. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, just, I, I feel so blessed. It's like, why would you want to be talking to me? Um, (laughs) in in any universe, why would you be interested in talking to me? But yeah, we've been so really, really fortunate about the people that have been attracted to, to the podcast. It's interesting too, because I, I, you can't see it, but I have um, memorabilia from all different types of people that I've shared the stage with, you know, different conferences. Like um, I have Bill Walton up here. He, He gave me a signed basketball, Sugar Ray Leonard gave me Boxing gloves. Roy Jones Jr. gave me boxing gloves. Randy Couture gave me um, some gloves. We have Rob O'Neill's poster and That's great. Uh, I love Victoria it. Durant. It's it's just, it's, it's amazing. Like I'm a dentist. I'm just a yeah. dentist from a small town of 35,000 people. And right. it's just cool what what has what's been able to transpire from all of it.
0: Yeah. So I got I have to ask you a question about David Goggins. Cause yeah. I've heard him on multiple podcasts. His book's fascinating. I yeah. read the book by Jesse uh, Itzler mm-hmm. uh, living with a seal. Is yeah. he as scary a, in person as he seems on the radio as, as and maybe scary is not the right, word. maybe more intimidating.
1: You know, he was a very, very nice guy. He's yeah. very regimented. Um, and what you see is what you get with David. Sure. Yeah. I, I'm for real, like yeah. right now, um, no, this, what is this? Yeah. It's wintertime right now. So he's not there, but he spends his entire summer working for $12 an hour as a, as a wildland firefighter. He's wow. a hot shot. So they drop him down out of a helicopter and they just with a pick and a shovel and they, 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 for 20 hours at a time, they, they dig trenches in the forest. So, so the fires don't overcome uh, the neighboring communities and in Prescott, that's very special to us because we lost 19 of our guys, um, about five six years ago, yeah. Uh, but he is the real real deal. Like he has not taken a day off running for like a decade. Yeah, and, uh, he's extremely intense, and for better or for worse, he's very very disciplined. I mean, it, it doesn't always work out for everybody's life to be that regimented and disciplined and inflexible. Sure. But, um, but he is the real deal. He 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 is exactly how he is portrayed in the media.
0: That's kind of what I expected. You mentioned speaking and you know being being a, a keynote have you always been a good speaker or is this something that you had to get comfortable with or is it something you always like to do because i think some people really love it and some people really hate it so where do, where do you fall on that
1: yeah i i love speaking I, I have to say that i remember the first few times i got up on stage it was not pretty it was actually really embarrassing to look back and and uh it, it's a skill that you have to develop i have you know, my mom always tells a story of I was that always that kid that always had my arms wrapped around her leg and hiding behind her because I was so shy, painfully shy kid, uh, went pretty far in athletics. And that kind of brought me out of my shell. Sure. Um, and I think that getting into the profession of dentistry, seeing, you know, 30 to 40 patients a day and having to turn on the charm all day in order to build a dental practice, that was a lot of really great training. And then threw me up on stage after, you know, after I figured out that you don't have to be super polished and you can just tell stories about funny stories about when you ran into a fence or when you <laughs> had your first back surgery or like, you know, when you the, the, story about your mom being, you know, a collector for a loan shark. Those, those are the sorts of things that you could just, you could just be yourself. And yeah. once people realize that that's, that's what people want to watch and hear and listen to anyway, the right yeah, people can just kind of just go out there and be themselves.
0: Yeah, that's that, so true. In the spirit of talking about work life balance, you know, you have, you're married with three boys. I am the middle of three boys. So oh, you, are. you better watch out for him. Um, oh, believe
1: me, I know the middle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How, what do you do to, to really keep that focus on maintaining that balance and spending quality time with them?
1: Yeah. Interestingly enough, it's my, my 12 year olds, my youngest is 12 and it's his birthday today. Oh, we, uh, I got up really early when got. Uh, it's our tradition. We get their favorite donuts and um, we wake everybody up early and we put a candle in the donuts and we do like, we open presents at like six o'clock in the morning. Oh, uh, that's day. great. Happy birthday to him. Thank you. Yeah. You know, he eats off the birthday plate every (laughs) birthday. Um, And I just took him out to lunch, so that was our second meal together. And I take him to soccer practice tonight. It's very, very. You have to schedule it in. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk about non-negotiables. So when you're creating your schedule, and this is something that I wasn't always good at, I'm not. I'm not lecturing anybody because I've done it incorrectly for a a large portion of my parenting life. Yeah. Um, But you know, now because I travel so much, or I did prior to COVID. Um, I schedule all of their activities. And I have three travelers. I have a traveling soccer player, traveling baseball player, who's the middle and another traveling soccer player. So we are in four different States. So we have to do a serious juggle, but I set all of their games, all of their tournaments, all of their practices. When I'm picking up, I'm picking up tonight at seven 30, yeah. those go in my calendar. Everything works around that. They're non-negotiable. So they're non-negotiable. Absolutely. Non-negotiable. I mean, If David Goggins called and said, hey, I need you at seven o'clock tonight, I'd be like, it's going to have to be 830 because I have to pick my kids up. It's absolutely non-negotiable. And once I learned to do that, it it really it's liberating to have a schedule that you can't move so that everything else can move around. it. Yeah, absolutely. And for relationships too, you know, if you want to have a successful marriage, you better get some non-negotiable dates in there for your <laughs> wife or for your husband as well.
0: Yeah. I was. Somebody said to me one time, the most difficult part about having kids is that you, you sometimes forget to date your spouse yes. and being able to sort of schedule those dates in and spend that time without the kids around is usually a, a huge benefit in, in a relationship. So- it's yeah. that's interesting that you that you do that.
1: And you have to really I mean you have to you have to identify what an hour of your time costs, right? So an hour of my time in business costs x number of dollars. Like yeah. I won't do anything that, where that won't yield that. I'll delegate everything else below that to my executive team or their teams. Yeah. So. Um, and the, the, the time with my family, I don't even put a, a price tag on that. So, right. Like if I want to do it all right, if I want to, to speak regionally or around the country or internationally, and I still want to get to my kids' soccer games, well, what does that mean? In in this day and age, and we live in a small town with a small airport, that means that I have to drive two hours to get to the international airport. So that's four hours round trip. That's not going to work a lot of times. So what did I identify? I, I said, I, I'm going to have to buy an airplane. So we, we bought an airplane, we have a full-time pilot. And those are the things that now I'm like, okay, I, I want seven figures for the sake of seven figures. Now it's like, no, if I want to continue to grow this thing, yeah. I'm going to have to buy this asset that's going to free up this amount of family Sorry. time, this amount of business time. And I can't put a price tag on that. So I will work harder for this asset to maintain yep. this asset so I can have more time with the family.
0: That makes a ton of sense. Now, looking at you, you mentioned that you used to travel a lot prior to, to COVID. So let's talk about COVID real quick because the dental industry was impacted pretty, maybe the restaurant and the hotel business are the only two industries that are hurt worse at the height of, of COVID. You seem to me to be a pretty optimistic person. What are some positives that you've seen on the dental industry that have come out of, of the COVID and the pandemic, if any?
1: Yeah, I got to give it up to my homies in uh, in dentistry because we did. We took a, a solid gut punch. Yeah, we did. I mean, to to take um, a practice that maybe has half a month of of cash reserves, which is good for a lot of dental practices that I work with. We try to get everybody to three months reserves, but the average dental practice that hasn't had coaching and isn't so sophisticated yet, or hasn't had, you know, a lot of, of business training Mm -hmm. maybe has a week to two weeks, maybe one payroll cycle in cash. And to shut that type of business down for three months is scary. It's, It's scary. It's devastating. So I have to give it to my homies in dentistry that have, really really just pulled themselves up and said here's what we were dealt let's figure out if there's any government assistance the ppp helped a lot but a lot of people in our profession that weren't involved with certain groups didn't even know about it or how to fill it out so a lot of them uh, were able to utilize some of the the government stimulus to help them through a lot of people just worked really hard and kept the marketing going um, even though no money was coming in Um, so i would say that of the people that I've come in contact with, most of them had either a flat year or a better year, even the, given the fact that we had, we were down for two months. And a lot of that had to do with stimulus and people uh, being home a lot, maybe looking at their smiles more in the mirror. Sure. Maybe recognizing that I'm not going to go on a family vacation this year. So this tooth or these braces that I wanted, I, I can get them now because we're not going on a family vacation. I'm going to invest in myself. Yep. So for whatever reason the the profession of dentistry has come out pretty well after an extremely tough year given more challenges as you alluded to than than most other industries so i just i'm proud of of our profession and what they've been able to do um and i I mean i hope that i had a little bit to do with that uh, with with bringing like really smart people on the air helping them you know navigate through the ppp loan process and all that stuff but but uh I will say that uh, they've showed we the, the the profession has shown its resiliency yeah
0: absolutely it's amazing when in the dentists i talked to i talked the same thing that you said that those few months were absolute hell on earth but oh. you know they they've have been able to recover but they have t- they are very cautious now that something like this could happen again and are putting the plans in place like you talk about to to make I, sure I, that- uh,
1: we kept 26 people and i laid off 64 people in one day Wow, March. that was that was a difficult day because I didn't know what we were gonna what was gonna happen. Yeah, we had to make the decision and coach them through how to apply for you know unemployment. Thank God there there was some unemployment assistance and they got stimulus checks. So it ended up being great. We got ninety eight percent of the people back. Yeah, um, some people elected not to come back to work at all. Yeah, um, but. But uh, that was difficult. It was difficult for a larger employee to have to do that. And yeah. I talked to every single one of them personally. It was it was a hard thing to do. Was like Absolutely.
0: Tough- well, it's yeah. great that most of them were able to come back, the ones that, that wanted to. So let me ask you one question, one, one final question. It's one of sure. my favorite questions to ask successful people. If you could go back in time and visit yourself when you're in your 20s, dental school, maybe even earlier than that. Okay. Knowing what you know now, what piece of advice would you give to 20-year-old
1: Mark? I I would tell myself, don't take yourself so personally. Yeah. Uh, So seriously, rather. Sure. Don't take yourself so seriously. Um, It's going to be all right. And your relationships are more important than anything else.
0: Yeah. That's, I think, fantastic advice. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, we talked about it earlier, going back to that, they're willing to sacrifice anything including their relationships to get to that arbitrary number. And then they find out that it means nothing.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. Hey, and like, listen, I, I honestly believe, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but I believe that if you have some sort of framework where you're taking care of your relationships, yeah. take care of your personal health, and that's all squared away and you're still happy. There's no reason why you can't charge extra hard for that financial independence for that to, to become wealthy. Uh, completely because- agree with you. I mean, that decreases stress, right? You're able to, you have more flexibility about what you can do with your days. You have more to leave your heirs and you can make a bigger difference in the world a lot of times if you have more
0: money. Yep, very Um, well said. I, I totally agree with you. Well, I thank you so much for your time. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. It was it was great to talk to you. And if you'd like to see uh, or learn a little bit more about Mark's business, please check out his website for the Dental Success Institute at truedentalsuccess.com. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Thank you so much, Brian. That was a blast. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors_llc. underscore LLC.